So this morning we want to continue with week two of our series in Isaiah and, and, uh, to think about why we are continuing this series, this series called The Servant. Um, first of all, the question that we raised last week is who is the servant and why do we need to talk about him right now in the midst of this coronavirus, this pandemic crisis? Why are we talking about the servant? Well, I think there is, there's a good reason for that. And number one is this. We want to turn our eyes upon Jesus because I believe that both in New Testament and in the Old Testament, all of Scripture really calls us to look to Jesus, uh, to look to the servant, the Savior. And I love how uh, Jesus is introduced in so many places in the Old Testament, and really one of the most powerful ways is here in the book of Isaiah, where he's introduced as this person called the servant, or as we'll find in the next two weeks, the suffering servant. And so uh, just a quick slide here. Isaiah 42, we looked at last week. That's the first song. And that really just uh, answers the question, who is the servant? It was kind of his introduction. Today, we're going to be in Isaiah 49, which is the second song about the servant. And and really, this this song answers the question, what is his task? What is he all about? What is he here for? Why is this servant, who we know as Jesus, coming? Uh, the third song, we'll talk about what does it cost him. Uh, and then the last song, we'll talk about what does he accomplish on our behalf. And so that's where we're headed the next couple of weeks. But I think it's also important to, to note that Jesus himself, when he comes, he identifies himself as, I am the servant that Isaiah spoke of. Mark 10, uh, verse 45 says, Jesus says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we want to remember that he came as the servant and willingly served us uh, through his death on the cross. Uh, with that being said, I want to go ahead and read to you the verses that we're going to be talking about this morning. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 6. Uh, so we're just going to just follow along on your screens as I read through these six verses. It says this. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword, and in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said... I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. I think what we see here this morning in this text is, is just this description of the task that the servant is called to complete. What does he come to do? And I think uh, what we have to realize this morning is that the servant really in this passage begins to understand his calling and to begin to understand what he is called to do. And uh, that's kind of the first point we want to talk about this morning is that the servant recognizes his calling in the first three verses. I think this is important for us to look at because as he recognizes his calling, 
It's also important for us as the people of God to recognize our calling and the things he has called us to uh, during this day and time. Uh, it's really interesting in these four servant songs to look at who is talking. In Isaiah 42, it was the Lord talking about uh, his servant and introducing the servant to us. But here in chapter 49, we start with the servant himself talking. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. What I love about that invitation from the servant is that it includes everyone. It includes the people on the farthest side of the earth, in the coastlands, in the islands, in the nations from afar. They are invited to listen to the servant. And I think this morning we also are invited to listen to this servant, not only with his message that he presents to us here this morning, but the message he presents to us through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So listen to him. Listen to this message that he's given us. It's this universal invitation. This invitation is open to anyone. Listen to the servant. But what does it say about uh, the servant? I think, first of all, we see that as he recognizes his calling, he recognizes that he is called by name. He is chosen by name. Uh, now, in the in the Old Testament especially, when we talk about the names of people, we're talking about their entire reputation, uh, which is a little different than when we name uh, people today, right? You get a name uh, w- before you're born in many cases. Uh, parents who are expecting babies, many of them choose the name before the baby's even born. In fact, uh, here's a picture of the very best baby name book. There are 60,000 names in this book. Now, most families have fewer than my family. We have five kids in my family. And uh, and with 60,000 names, there should be plenty of options out there, right? But still, parents have the hardest time choosing a name. Well, what's interesting when we when we look at Isaiah 49 and we look at the servant recognizing his calling, the fact that he's chosen by name is what is the name that's given to him? Verse 3, it says, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. So God gives this servant the title servant. The reputation of this one who's being promised in Isaiah is to be a servant. In other words, his whole identity, his reputation will be one who serves. The name of this promised one will be servant. Uh, earlier in the book of Isaiah, we talked about this actually at Christmas time. In chapter 7 of Isaiah, it talks about, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. So this servant who is coming is the same person that was identified in chapter 7 of Isaiah, this God who has come to be with us. And that's his name. He is chosen by name. I want us to realize this morning, we're going to come back to this, but God actually has called you by name as well. If you know him, if you've trusted this servant, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, God has called you by name. He's called Marcus by name. And he says, I give you a task. I give you a calling. Recognize that calling. Recognize that I have called you by name. The second thing we see about the servant recognizing his calling is not just that he is uh, called chosen by name, but also that God says that there's something about this servant that's concealed, kind of secret almost, or unexpected. Uh, look at verse 2. Uh, it says this, He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he hid me and made me a polished arrow. In his quiver he hid me away. Um, first of all, if you look at verse 2, the first thing you notice is that he says... Uh, his mouth is like a sharp sword. So what weapon does this servant have? Well, 
It's his mouth. It's the words that come out of his mouth. And you might think, uh, you know, if you're going to send someone to save the world, to fix all the things that are wrong. Last week we talked about how this new king, this new servant would come in and establish justice. You're going to send somebody with incredible armies and weapons and, and just whip everybody into shape. But when you look at the book of Isaiah, it talks about his mouth will be like a sharp sword. The weapon that God gives to this servant is the word that comes out of his mouth, which is the word of God. Earlier in Isaiah, we see that this servant uh, it says, will smite the world with the rod of his mouth. That's in chapter 11. And this idea of of his mouth being a weapon uh, is, is what God says he's going to accomplish his mission through what he says, through his words. But you know, this is unexpected. This is not the way we as humans think this should work. We think that a coming king should be one with might and strength and armies. Uh, And yet God says, no, this is going to be an unexpected thing. Because although he is a weapon, in the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He concealed me. And in his quiver, he hid me away. I want to show you a picture. Uh, You can see this picture, hopefully on your screens, of of what we would call a concealed weapon. Um, Now, regardless of what your position is on on weapons and things like this, a concealed weapon is always supposed to be something that's unexpected or unknown. People are not supposed to know about it. It's kind of a secret. And the same thing is true about Jesus when he came. He came in an unexpected way. He was born in a stable. He was God coming as a human. How unexpected is that? How hidden could that be? And yet, he proclaimed good news and word and deed. Here's a verse from Matthew that shows just how unexpected and really kind of concealed he was. The people were trying to wrestle through who Jesus was, and they said, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, the, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? You see, if you read through the Gospels and if you read through, uh, especially the Gospel of John, the Pharisees kind of always give this little innuendo of Jesus is actually an illegitimate child. Um, you know, we don't really know where he comes from. And, and there's this whole debate. And so uh, I think it's proving the point that it fulfills this prophecy from Isaiah 49. Jesus comes in a way that nobody could have expected. God had this weapon concealed, and it's a weapon that is the message of his love. You know, Jesus gives us a lot of words that speak to us. And uh, actually this morning, I just want to read for you a word from Jesus. Um, and I don't have the text on the screen, but I just want you to sit there and listen. Maybe even close your eyes. But I think there are many places in Scripture that we can look at where we can say, this is the word of the mouth of the servant. And he's speaking to us. And there's a word that I want to share with you this morning that I think really can encourage us during the time that we're in. And we're not going to dwell on it, but I do want to read it to you so that you can hear this word from Jesus this morning. From Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Listen to this word from Jesus. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are words from Jesus. He's speaking to us with his mouth. The words that he gives us, and what a great reminder. I think three times in that passage it says, do not be anxious, be not anxious. What a great word from Jesus for us today. So we see that the servant recognizes his calling. Jesus, when he comes, recognizes that his calling is he's chosen by name. He is concealed. He comes in an unexpected way. But thirdly, we see that he is commissioned by God. In verse 3 of Isaiah 49, we see Yahweh himself speaking. Verse 3, he says, And he said to me, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. There's kind of two words I want us to pick up on in there, just to think about what God is commissioning this servant to do. Uh, and the first word is is servant. This servant is called to come and serve. Uh, if you want a picture of that and kind of Jesus' own explanation, again, another word from Jesus, uh, look at John chapter 13, uh, something that we'll be looking at in Holy Week together. So he has commissioned this servant to serve, uh, to serve the people. And then secondly, he has commissioned the servant to glorify God, uh, to glorify God. And so I think what we see uh, is that God knows or Jesus knows when he comes that every single thing he does is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And God receives more glory when people are saved and come to worship him for all eternity. You know, uh, This first point, the servant recognizes his calling. I think that leads us to ask the question, what is your calling? What is my calling? What is our calling as Trinity Church? How do we recognize what it is? And I think I would just encourage you with a couple of things here. Uh, One is, uh, is that we share the same calling that the servant does. Now, again, Jesus was the savior of the world. I'm not saying that we are the savior of the world. But we share in the task of proclaiming that good news to the entire world. And and uh, and so I think one thing that Jesus says to us is, I came to serve. I'm also calling you to serve. That's something that he harps on. It's really kind of unexpected. Again, right? We think, well, if I'm going to make a huge difference in the world, I should be doing great things like leading a company or leading a country or uh, or something like that. And what does Jesus say? Here's another word from Jesus. Mark 10, verse 42. Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles rule over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But verse 43 says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. That's the calling that we must recognize is that God has called us to serve in the same way that Jesus has served, to sacrifice our own desires, because we know that even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve 
and he's the God of the universe. So we share in that calling. We must recognize that calling, not only the calling to, to serve, but also the calling to glorify God. Uh, in the words of the Westminster Confession, um, the Westminster Catechism, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question, as we find it in Scripture, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so we share in the same calling as the servant. And I would just encourage you as members of Trinity Church, if you're watching and you're not a member of Trinity Church, just recognize that we are called to the same thing, to serve God and to glorify God. But the second thing we see in this passage is that the servant realizes that he's going to have some opposition. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But verse four, uh, the servant says, but I have said, I have labored in vain and I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. In other words, by man's standards, what this servant comes to do and what Jesus accomplishes in his life is really a complete failure. By human standards, because it looks like he just comes, he lives a good life, he heals some people, but then he's executed and killed and, and that's it. End of story. Or is it? Because as we know from scripture, that is not the end of the story. Um, but nonetheless, the servant realizes that he has opposition. We're going to talk about what that looks like next week. And uh, one of the pictures that I have when I think about opposition and this idea of feeling ineffective is uh, something that I grew up with on the farm was this idea of, of getting stuck in the mud. Okay, I'm going to show you a picture of a tractor. Now, I didn't do this to a tractor. I would never have done this to a tractor, okay? But we did get stuck often enough that I was thinking this morning about, let me tell a story about one time I got the tractor stuck. And I couldn't think of one because there are so many of them. It just happened a lot. And uh, this picture of just spinning your wheels in the mud is, I think, how a lot of times we feel as people. We think, am I even accomplishing what I was supposed to accomplish? I feel like I'm being completely ineffective. I feel like I'm being paralyzed. And all that is probably even more so during a time like this where we say, I'm stuck at home. I can't even go to work. I can't even talk to people. I can't even see people. I feel like I'm stuck. I'm paralyzed. I'm being ineffective. Well, what's our response when that happens? Usually, I think what we do is we try harder. And so I can tell you this. Sometimes when I was a kid sitting there on the tractor and I'd get stuck and I'd say, oh, no, I don't want to go tell dad I'm stuck. So I'd put it in high gear and really start spinning the wheels. And guess what? I would just sink deeper and deeper and deeper into the mud. I was trying harder, but it was doing no good. And so what's the servant's response when he feels like he's being ineffective? Look at the second half of verse 4. He says, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with my God. You know, I think the servant's response here is that he trusts in God for justice. In fact, where it says my right is with the Lord, that's really that same word that we talked about last week. My justice is with God. I am trusting that he will make this right. Even though I'm being opposed, I'm being persecuted. I trust that God is the one in control. God is the one with power. And so we see the servant turning to God in the face of opposition. Psalm 20 verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. So as we think about this second point here, uh, that the servant realizes his opposition, he realizes that there are people against him. It makes him look ineffective by human standards. I would just say, here's the question we need to ask in the face of difficulty. Where do you place your confidence? Where do you place your confidence? Because it can be like 
Marcus, young Marcus on that tractor. He's starting to get stuck. So he just spins faster and tries to get, get out of that mud as fast as he can. You know, you may feel like you're spinning your wheels. You're not sure which way to turn. You're stuck in the mud. How do I go forward in life, let alone in my mission to share Jesus with people? How do I do this? I think this last week has showed us one thing, and that is that we're all called to pause and place our trust in the Lord anew. Pause and place your trust in the Lord. All this extra time we have, all this time of being home, quarantined, sequestered away, God says, I want you to use that to pause and place your trust in me again. There will be a time for action again, and we're going to talk about some of that on Tuesday night. Uh, but for now, if you're stuck at home, pause and repeatedly place your trust in God. One of the things I would encourage you to do with that is it's hard when you're focusing on the news and all these bad reports from across the world and across the nation. Um, God says, focus on me, place your trust in me and figure out where you can make a difference right here, right here in the midst of this crisis. See, we have to recognize that even in times of opposition or just difficulty in general, that we have a calling. And the solution is when there's that that difficult time, depend on God anew. Place your trust in Him again. Which brings us to our third point, our final point for today, is that the servant also embraces his calling. The servant embraces his calling, and we see that clearly spelled out in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. In other words, this whole idea is God says, uh, if you read the first 48 chapters of Isaiah... God is basically warning his people over and over again. Y'all, you're on the wrong path. You're trusting in yourselves. You're trusting in your political rulers. You're trusting in your wealth. You're trusting in your own good health. When those things go away or go awry, who are you going to trust in? And so for the first 48 chapters of Isaiah, he's saying, trust me, trust me. Uh, Israel, you can't do this on your own. And over and over again, we see Israel's response. They fail, and then they fail again, and then they fail again, and again, and again. And God says, the only solution is for you to trust me. And so he sends, that's where the servant comes into the picture. He says, I'm going to send this servant who can bring us, who can bring the nation of Israel back to the God who has chosen them, to bring God's people back to him, to bring them back to depend on him. So the servant is coming to do that. But I love what it says in the next verse. See, Israel has failed, but the servant will not. But then look at verse 6, Isaiah 49, verse 6. It says, but then the Lord says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, what we see here is this idea that God has sent his servant not just to rescue this one group of people called the Israelites or the tribe of Israel or the nation of Israel. He says, I have sent my servant to rescue all the nations. In other words, this good news that Jesus is bringing is not just for one geographic area, not just for one group of people, not for one type of people, but it's for all nations. And he says, I've come to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation, that's a key word. That's the thing this servant is coming to bring, salvation. In other words, he's coming to save people from something. Save people from something. 
well, what is it that we're talking about here? I want to talk just for a second about what salvation is. He says, I am coming to bring salvations to the, salvation to the ends of the earth. I'm going to show you a picture in just a second. And I actually put this picture on the screen, I think the first Sunday of February. We were talking as an illustration, uh, we were talking about, uh, this virus that had just taken place that was taking hold in China. Far, far away, uh, you know, these people that were struggling with this sickness, uh, it was a dangerous virus, but it was all the way over in Wuhan, China. And, uh, and we talked about that kind of as an illustration to say, uh, what if you had in your hands, at your disposal, uh, unlimited vaccine, enough vaccinations to cover the entire city of Covington, actually more than that, the entire country of the United States, even more than that, if you had vaccine that could cure the entire world, if you had a whole warehouse full of this vaccine that could cure the entire world of coronavirus, how crazy would it be to keep it to yourself? That illustration is all the more true now that we see coronavirus right here, even in our own community. What if you had that vaccine and you had enough doses for everyone? How crazy would we have to be to keep it to ourselves? Well, I've got some really bad news for you this morning. Look at this picture. What if I had a scanner here this morning and I could go around and scan every person not only in this church, but also every person in the city of Covington, everyone in the country, and I'd say, your results are positive. You have a virus. Well, guess what? The virus that Scripture tells all of us that we have is sin. The virus of sin, the sickness of sin. Sin destroys us. It kills us. It brings death for all eternity. And God says, you have this virus. The thing about the virus of sin is that it's, more deadly, more destructive, more dangerous than coronavirus ever could be. Because it's not just a health issue, it's a spiritual issue. It's an eternal issue. So you see, if you're sick with this virus of sin, you'll be separated from God. But thanks be to God, he tells us that he has sent the cure. And the cure is this servant named Jesus. Jesus says uh, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, brothers and sisters, if you're sitting out there and you know Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you already have the cure for the virus of sin. God has already injected you. He has solved the problem. You are no longer condemned for your sin. In the place of condemnation and death, you now receive eternal life. And we receive that because of the work that this servant completed when he died on the cross. He provides the medicine we need to rid us of the consequences of sin and from the presence of sin. We have the cure. It's the light of the world. If you're sitting there uh, watching this live stream this morning, and that's something you've never actually experienced, and you you know about Jesus, or you kind of understand this, but haven't ever really said, yes, I trust that Jesus is the only one who can cure me from this sin. It can't be myself. I can't do enough good things to pay for my sins. That's impossible according to Scripture. But if you've never said, I trust Jesus alone, I would invite you this morning, trust him right now. Tell him, God, I know I can't save myself from my sins. I trust that you alone can give me the cure that I need for the sickness, for the death of sin. And God says, you will have it freely. So brothers and sisters, if you haven't experienced that, do it today. If you have experienced it, we have this amazing gift. We have the cure for sin, the cure for the virus. 
we must share it. I love Acts 13, 47. I'm going to show you that verse in just a second. This is the Apostle Paul saying that the calling that was given to the servant back in Isaiah 49 is the same calling that's given to Paul and, and his associates. And it's also the same calling that is given to you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. Acts 13, 47 says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Did you catch that? It says, the Lord has commanded us. The Lord has commanded Marcus. He's commanded you, wherever you are. He's commanded you to be a light for the nations, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, we are called to proclaim with our mouths the good news about Jesus Christ. We share in the calling of the servant. And he's given us everything we need in order to do that. So just as the servant embraces his calling, I think that brings us to our final question today. How can you embrace your calling during this time, during this unique time that we live in? And you might say, Marcus, you're talking about going to the ends of the earth. Well, the ends of the earth seem even farther away now than they did seven days ago, because now we've got this whole new word called social distancing. I'm stuck at my house, quarantine. I can't go out, period. So how can I possibly go to the ends of the earth? Well, I love, again, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, uh, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria, and Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what God calls us to do. He says, begin at home. Wherever you are, if you're with someone at home, uh, share the gospel. Continue to share the gospel with them. And then share that with people around you. We have this wonderful thing called technology now where we can actually keep in touch with people. Um, what a sign of God's grace that we are able to do that and continue to proclaim the gospel even if we can't be physically present with people. I think just remember these things as you think about how do I embrace my calling to take the gospel, to take salvation to the ends of the earth. Remember these three things. Uh, first of all is that it's God-powered. I love what the servant says here in verse 6. Um, he realizes that it's God's power who's sending him out to accomplish this task. So this is God power. And so I would re- encourage you to depend on him in prayer. Again, if you're stuck at home for the time being, we don't know how long that's going to last. Depend on him in prayer. Go to him regularly in prayer. Remember that this this mission is accomplished through God's power alone. Second, remember that it's others focused. Remember one of the recurring themes of Jesus's message, the recurring themes of the servant, the recurring theme of the title servant really means that you're focusing on someone else, right? That you're serving someone else. So during this time, whatever you do, be others focused as much as you can, as much as you're allowed to be. Be focused on the needs of others and caring for them in any way you can uh, within uh, the limits of, of, of good health. And then the third thing is realize that when you do these little things right here, even if it is just somebody in your own household or somebody down the street that you call on the phone or somebody that you provide food for, realize that this has a global impact. You never know what difference that little act of kindness will do down the road or who on the other side of the world will be impacted by what you're able to do during this time. So remember that this is God. The mission can only be accomplished through God's power. Remember to be others focused as you seek to serve like the servant does. And remember uh, that you can have a global impact, whether it's today or 10 years from now, because of something you do today, God will use your efforts as you seek to share his gospel. 
I think the final thing I want to share with you is just this. We are called to share in the task of the servant. And so as the servant did, we are called to serve God. We're called to serve Trinity Church. Really go out of your way to care for one another in any way you possibly can during this time. Serve God, serve Trinity Church, serve our community, your friends and neighbors, especially those who don't know Jesus. And then by doing that, we're going to be able to serve the world and carry forward this message, this message and mission of the servant. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to worship together over live stream. God, we thank you for your servant, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that we would look to him repeatedly in the days ahead. And God, we pray that we would serve uh, following the pattern of service that he set for us. And God, I pray you would do amazing things through this church in the days ahead. Protect our people. And God, it's to you that we pray and realize that now to you who are able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine, to you be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.